Who are the surprises in fantasy value this season? The answers might surprise you when I ask Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 11th. It's show number 16 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature interview with Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus and the Flags Fly Forever podcast discussing Eureka Moments, Lourdes Gurriel's call-up, fantasy valuation for the season so far, some top stories from the season, and his boons and banes. We'll have player news from the National League and the American League with Harold Nichols, looking at Carlos Martinez, Matt Harvey, uh, bullpen changes in Toronto and Baltimore, and a whole lot more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our frequent flyer commentary, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Chicago White Sox outfielder Eloy Jimenez. And in our pitcher matchup segment, Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick looks at Jacob deGrom in Philadelphia to take on Aaron Nola. What a matchup, as well as some other weekend tilts. Later in the show, I'll have our weekly talk with Todd, asking Todd Zola about weekly pitcher ratings. And finally, in Master Notes, I'll be talking about driving in base runners. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Are no-hitters going to be more common than stolen bases? Starting to seem that way, isn't it? We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday News and Comment Edition, Part 1 of our feature expert interview with Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus. We've been having a little trouble with Mike's cell phone, so this might be a little shorter than you're used to, but Mike, welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick, thanks for having me back. I think I was here last year, right? It was right around this time last year, as a matter of fact, so it's great to have you back. Uh, how are your teams doing in your various experts leagues and home leagues and other leagues? Well, I'm, I'm doing better in a couple of my mixers than in the, in the deep leagues. Are, are, you in the, are you in that great fantasy baseball invitational or no? No, I'm not. Okay, so I'm doing well there. I'm, I'm, I think I'm actually in second or third, but I've been near the top all year. And since that's an aggregated league, uh, my offense is doing very well, and, and that's kind of important in a league like that where you're, you're trying to win the big prize. You know, it's better than like being you know good in offense and good in pitching. Uh, and then I'm in another 15-team mixer that's a fan track beat the experts that I've been bouncing between first and second, and uh, very strong staff there, and particularly on the back end that has kind of propelled me up. Uh, you know, the, the industry leagues... Uh, Cat Wars, I, I have Kershaw, so I'm kind of middle of the pack, unfortunately, as a result. Uh, and uh, Labor AL drafted a strong offense and a weak pitching staff, and so far that's what the team has done. So I've been like fifth or sixth. Uh, pitching could still pick up, uh, but at some point I'm going to need you know either a little luck or, or a little help. 
I was going to ask you about Clayton Kershaw. I knew that you had bought him in Tout Wars, uh, the NL only league, and and of course the news that he went on to the DL with biceps tendonitis must have been devastating for you and all his owners. Uh, and of course, especially in a deep league like that, it's in, literally impossible to replace even a marginal pitcher, much less uh, an ace pitcher like that. What did you do to fill the slot? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I I didn't really panic. Because, you know, if it had been you know Tommy Johnny's after the year. You know, it's kind of like ripping up a, a ticket at the track where you know, you know you've lost. Um, I, I kind of baked in 175 innings for him when I bought him. Uh, you know, the problem is I baked those in at the elite level he had been pitching. And, you know, you're going to get a small sample this year, but he hasn't been quite the elite version of, of himself. Uh, but what I did do in that league before he got hurt is I, I traded for Kyle Hendricks uh, because the rest of the pitching behind him was weak to begin with. Um, I had a lot of speed, so I traded some of that speed for for Hendricks, and I got a little bit of speed back too. So it wasn't like I just you know gave up a, a hitter for a pitcher. So you know, Hendricks obviously isn't Kershaw, but you know he's one of those pitchers who, despite the fact he's not a big velocity guy, he's he's kind of sneaky good. And compared to what you're going to get out of the free agent pool, he's fantastic. Uh, that's the the difficulty in these uh, only league formats, which I prefer, is that uh, you've got to get way down in the weeds and a little better with pitching than it is with hitting when there's literally nothing left of hitting. But uh, even when you look at the pitching guys who are in the free agent pool from week to week, the pickings are pretty skimpy. So getting Kyle Hendricks is a real, a, really a coup. Yeah, I, you know, the one thing about that, though, I don't know why, this year I've noticed at least, the NL's had a couple of pop-up guys. You know, obviously it's not a mixed league, but they've had some guys that are like back-end, like usable or, or even reliable. You know, Joey Lucchese is the best example of somebody who sort of came out of nowhere who's been really good. The AL just hasn't had that. Um, you know, I, I know Romero just came up, but outside of him, it, it, the pickings have been really slim in the American League in terms of players coming up from the minors or, or coming from out of nowhere. Well, I drafted a bunch of starters uh, at the draft, uh, and I'm hoping that maybe there'll be some trade opportunities. You know, after May, as we get into June and things start solidifying, I'd like to position myself in in the counting stats, wins and strikeouts, well enough that I can trade a couple of starters and still not fall too far. Uh, you write for Baseball Prospectus, Mike, uh, and you had an article recently about what you called Eureka Moments. Uh, let's get into that a little. What's a Eureka Moment? Well, you know, I, I made the point. So there, there's a you know famous story that many, I think we all learned, or at least I learned in elementary school about you know Greek mathematician Archimedes, who you know discovered the principle of buoyant force and, and displacement. He was at a public bathhouse, and you know he was so excited by his discovery that he you know ran out yelling "Eureka!" you know into the streets, and he was naked. Um, you know, the the funny thing about that story is it turns out it's mostly apocryphal, both both the science and the idea that he ever did it specific, yelled Eureka specifically for that discovery. So, you know, the point of the article was I think we all do this. You know, we look at early season stats and, and we get excited and we go, oh, yeah, you know, Eureka, I've discovered something great, or I, I did something great. And, you know, a good example of that would be, I'll mention a player I have in a couple of weeks, uh, Didi Gregorius. I'll bet a lot of people after his first three weeks are going, Didi's a star, and he's going to hit 40 home runs, and he's going to you know hit 300. And right now, if you look at his overall numbers, he, he's been really good, and he's been a bargain. But, you know, it, it just shows you that baseball's a long season. There's a lot of you know back and forth, and you have to pump the brakes sometimes on, on three weeks of stats. What's the problem if you don't? I think one of them is, is that if you overestimate or underestimate 
how your team is doing based on a fast or slow start, you can get complacent. You can think, I, I don't need to make a trade for, for a category. I don't need to pick up a free agent. I, I think in Keeper, it can be even more devastating if you panic, you know, look at three or four players who are slow starters and, and go, oh gosh, you know, I have to give up for this year and play for next year. Overall, Mike, in the article, you noted that one, a problem can be that we play the game in some respects for self-validation. Uh, what did you mean by self-validation and how does it manifest in good decision-making or bad? Well, I, 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 we all do this. You know, we all want to be happy about what we did at our draft or auction. So uh, we have a lot of these discussions, you know, I think this player's good, you know, I think this player's bad, and we're tempted to be drawn to these early results to say, see, I'm really good at this, you know, I, I know how to analyze players. And that, that's kind of what I was talking about there, is, is just the idea that we, we all want to do that. It's psychological, it's, it's natural. But I think we need to draw back from that some way. And we want to feel good about you know, what, what we're doing and you know, we want to have fun with this game. But we just don't want to latch too much onto that, particularly to you know, some, some randomness or, or flukiness early. And that raises an interesting question that a lot of us wrestle with, and I'm curious uh, what you think about it. Uh, you mentioned Didi Gregorius, and you look at Didi Gregorius and you think, all right, you know, chances are he's not going to maintain this kind of momentum. Uh, I don't know what he prorates to in home runs, but it would be sort of uh, Barry Bonds-esque or, or pretty close. But we would have thought the same thing last year with Aaron Judge, and Aaron Judge turned out to be pretty much what he was at the early going, just kept on going the rest of the season. How do we look at a player's hot start and determine this is an Aaron Judge situation or this is uh, some guy who's just having a, a hot three weeks? Well, first of all, the default position is that it's usually a hot three weeks. So I, I think what you're looking for, and it's interesting you brought up Judge, you know, you're, you're looking for did something change for the player? You know, is he doing something differently? You know, I, I know launch angle and exit velocity are, are popular markers of that right now. But if you can find something, like to me... If a player gets off to a hot start, maybe if it's a rookie or a second-year player like Judge, and I'm like, okay, well, what's the change here? Is there a change, or is this just something that you know is happening for whatever reason, where the player is facing some weaker pitchers, or you know, it's just luck? And until I do that research, I'm inclined to believe it's luck. So I, what I'm saying is, do that research. Like, just make sure if you think, okay, well, Aaron Judge is legitimate, and he's going to be like a 40 home run hitter every year. You know, dig into that to try to find that out. Now, the other piece of this, too, there is a point where, you know, if a player comes out and, and he's, you know, at the so far above what he's done before, even if you split the difference, there is a recognition that you're getting or you have a better player than you had. You know, to get back to Gregorius, no one thinks he's going to, no one seriously thinks he's going to get 40 home runs. But 30 home runs for Gregorius in that park seems like a pretty reasonable possibility. And if he does that, you know, when you were looking more at 20 to 25, you, you have a little extra there. And then there are players who don't have a track record for us to look at. You had an article uh, recently about uh, Lourdes Gurriel after, shortly after the Toronto Blue Jays called him up to play, and you and Jeffrey Paternostro analyzed the call-up situation, and uh, Gurriel himself, of course. Uh, how often do you do these analysis pieces on prospects? I don't do them too much. I, I usually, so, so the prospect team and, and baseball perspective is a pretty big prospect team. Um, they're the ones who do most of the heavy lifting in those articles. The fantasy team just usually adds a paragraph or two. 
And what we're trying to assess based on that prospect analysis is, you know, should you add this guy to your team? Is, is he an AL or an only guy? You know, and I, I think my challenge with Grail was like, look, I, I like him as a player. I just didn't see, you know, in that piece how, how much of a fantasy impact he'd make. We, we kind of rotate those pieces among the staff, and, and a lot of times it's the first come, first serve in, in terms of who can write it. So it's just availability. So when you looked at Lourdes Gurriel, he's a guy who got off to a pretty hot start. He, he came up uh, with not that much of a pedigree from the minor leagues, and he, he hit a couple of home runs early. He stole a base. He looked uh, pretty comfortable out there. And uh, how do we know when we look at a guy like him with the, such a limited track record, whether the hot start is justifiable or do we just uh, is it more likely that he's going to regress than even a guy like Didi Gregorius or Aaron Judge? It's more likely he'll regress. Now, Now, an interesting thing about rookies now or younger players, I think we talked about this the, the last time I was on the show, but it's difficult to assess minor leaguers now because they're playing with a different ball. They're playing in parks that you know, aren't as well lit. They're, they're playing in, you know, they, they have a rougher road schedule. They don't get the perks of major leaguers in terms of either the meals or, or the travel. So what I often wonder when I watch these players, it's like, okay, so you know, Ozzy Albies is a great example. He, he's somebody who you know, no one profiled as a power hitter, and now he's hitting for all this power. And you know, I, I think part of it is he always had that ability or, or you know, that strength. He just wasn't something he was doing in the minor leagues, and you know, he wasn't <laughs> playing with the same ball down there if you get to enough games. So I think in trying to assess all this, it's more difficult than ever because you can't just look at a guy's minor league numbers or scouting profile and go, well, you know, he's a single sitter or always be a single sitter. The one thing with Guriel, you know, I'm kind of watching him, and you've probably seen him more, more than I have. You know, just, just looking at kind of the way he hits and, and what he's done so far, he's not a severe ground ball guy, but he's not really a fly ball guy either. So, so that's kind of something I look at, too, with these young players. Like, are, are they going to hit the ball in the air you know, and then if they do that, you know, they, do they have enough strength to get over the fence? And I, I think in Guriel's case, he's going to be more of still that gap guy, and, and you know, he'll, he'll hit some home runs, but I don't really see him as, as a huge power threat. Yeah, I don't either, and I, I never did. Even if you look at his minor league record from before he joined the Toronto organization in some Cuban baseball, he was never really that big of a slugger. He had a 560 slugging percentage one year, but a lot of his years, mind you, he was very young, but he was uh, slugging, you know, 390, 340, 450. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's certainly not great. And then you think, well, as big as the jump is from uh, the Cuban uh, baseball leagues into the minor leagues of American baseball, that jump is sort of magnified again with the jump to the major leagues. And I thought, boy, even at the time he got off to the hot start, I thought, I'll be surprised if this guy can slug f- like 400, at least in the early going. And right now I think he's down around 300. Yeah, you know, I, I, I picked him up in, um, I'm in the non-labor ale only, uh, it's also an expert, but it's lower profile. You know, I picked him up, I put $4 fab on him. He's in my lineup for a week or two, and now he's on my bench. And, you know, at that price for 4% of my budget in an ale, I was like, yeah, that, that's fine. I, I think in labor, he went for much more. And, <laughs> you know, there, there was someone going, no guts, no glory on the price. And I was, I was like, ah, you know, honestly... Just didn't seem worth the risk. Now, now on the other hand, I, I forget who it was who picked him up, but you know, whoever it was was like kind of dead on offense, 
and that's the other side of it with these kind of like like pickups or these recommendations. If you're in a really deep league and, and he could be the best opportunity that you have to improve for like a month or two, you have to kind of take your shot, even if it isn't a good one. I see that, especially in single league formats. But boy, in a mixed league, you'd think there'd be other options besides a player like this. Although sometimes it's a, like you said, it's a bid to catch lightning in a bottle. What key indicators do you use for players in general when they're being called up from the minor leagues and you have such a limited track record to look at? You mentioned whether there's some power there. Is there anything else that you're really interested in? Yeah, the the batting eye. I, I I think strikeouts matter less than they used to, just because teams. You know, it used to be thirty five percent strikeout rate, even thirty percent was the kiss of death. And I, I now you see guys in the majors like that frequently. But I, I do look at the walk rate because if someone is striking out a lot, you, you don't really want somebody in there who's walking like three percent of the time. I think that combination is what's what's lethal. Um, you know, I I think what I also um you know, want to see besides that is I do want to see something in terms of what they're doing as a hitter. And that's kind of tougher because that goes beyond the numbers a little bit and ties into scouting. I do like to watch someone's approach at the plate and see, you know, what they're doing. Like, you know, are they really locked in against the pitcher? Are they really have a plan for their at-bats? Or are they just kind of going up there and, and hoping to, you know, kind of get by? You, you, if you have the ability, you can do that in the minors. You know, in the majors, unless you're a really special hitter, you you know someone like Vlad Jr. Perhaps I'm not saying he does that, but you know you, you can't get away with that. Well, I think he does, and uh, now the, there's uh, people bidding on uh, on Vlad Jr. in the uh, Tout American League league, uh, trying to get in there on the hopes that maybe they blow up the team and send Donaldson packing and and call him up. Uh, I don't know about uh, about doing that for a 19 year old kid, but isn't it uh, something they say that if you make the major leagues as a regular at 19, you've got a 50 percent chance of being in the Hall of Fame or something like that? Yeah, it's something like that. I, I I think the cliche is like nineteen. If you're up at nineteen or twenty, you're you're a Hall of Famer or you know superstar. If you're up at twenty two or twenty three, you're you're very good. You know, if you're up at twenty five or twenty six, as as a hitter, but you know your odds are really kind of stacked against you, and you're probably your best case scenario is just to be like a regular player. Have you seen any other hitters come up of late? Uh, of course, Acuna has had plenty of discussion uh, in the. Uh expert community already but anybody else has caught your eye as a rookie or as a recent call-up yeah i would i would say acuna is the the big one obviously and you know he i I think he's a great example of how we all might have underestimated um you know underestimated a little bit but i guess just to move off him because that's sort of a you know everybody knows about him um i like miguel I'm going to mispronounce his last name because it's usually you know Andujar, but I think he goes by Andujar. Yeah, it's Andujar. Um, yep. And Andujar really is someone he he started out really slow. You know, he just didn't look like much of anything, and then all of a sudden, you kind of saw him get locked in and some of that raw power emerge. And he he looks like a fine for the Yankees. You know, he he's another good example of you know, we're paying attention to. The prospect writers is important because he was someone at the beginning. The the tools were nothing special. Uh, you know, people didn't really think a lot about him, even in terms of the skills. And you know, over the last year and change, he's worked really hard at you know improving his game and you know kind of unleashing his potential. And I think we see a lot of that now. Like I, I don't think he's gonna be a superstar, 
But I think you're looking at a very potentially very good player and you know a great part for hitters. Well, Mike, this has been really great so far. Can we uh, get you to relax in the dugout for a few minutes and come back a little later in the show? Sounds good. Mike Gianella writes about fantasy baseball for Baseball Prospectus and appears regularly on the Flags Fly Forever podcast. He'll be back a little later on in the show. Coming up next, our Market Watch reports on player news from the National League and the American League. That's next on Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for those Market Watch player news reports. Jock Thompson is taking the week off. So Baseball HQ analyst Harold Nichols will be our Shohei Otani this week. He'll be on the mound later with the American League report. But right now he's coming up to the plate with the National League report. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. It's always good to be here. A lot of news this week. Yes, there is. Uh, starting with something that has just uh, come over the wires. St. Louis starting pitcher Carlos Martinez has been sent to the 10-day DL with a right lat strain. Uh, I guess the good news is not an elbow or arm problems. Uh, Phil Hertz covers the Cardinals for playing time today. How long is Carlos Martinez likely to be out? Well, at this point, we don't know. And, and you know, there were it's kind of a strange thing because there weren't any indications that he was that he was having health issues. He had a, a rough opening day start, but followed that with six quality starts and entering uh, entering play on May the 8th. And he struggled a little bit on May the 8th, only walked three and only struck out two over five innings. And But perhaps most significantly there, he was only hitting 91 on the radar gun instead of his usual 93-94. And so that's, I guess, was the indication that there was something wrong. Uh, they've not indicated how long they expect him to be out or how serious the injury is at this point. Well, with him out for however long it is, there's going to be an opening in the uh, Cardinals rotation. What's going to happen with the roster and with the rotation? Uh, Mike Mayers was called up initially as the corresponding roster move, but uh, what's likely to happen in the rotation right away is Jack Flaherty will come back when they need a starter. And then uh, just down the road a bit, Alex Reyes, uh, top prospect Alex Reyes, uh, made his first rehab start on May the 9th. It uh, can be activated late uh, late May, so he will likely be moving into the rotation at some point, uh, whether or not Martinez is back. I remember reading some reports that suggested that Alex Reyes might be ticketed for the bullpen in an effort to um, keep the workload down on his arm while he recovers from his DL stint. Uh, is there any chance that Mayers is actually in front of uh, Alex Reyes in this scheme of things here? That, you know, I guess that's a possibility. We'll have to see what the car- what the Cardinals decide to do with Reyes. Um, you know, they've got a lot of pieces they can sort of juggle right now. And so I guess we'll see how, how his rehab goes uh, and then see uh, they'll, they'll make decisions about where they want to place him. 
Probably the biggest news of the week was uh, the Mets trading Matt Harvey, at one time their golden boy starting pitcher, to the Cincinnati Reds, which is like being sent to <laughs> purgatory, I guess, in major league terms. Uh, Devin Mazarako, the catcher, goes back to the Mets uh, to probably to take Travis Darnold's spot in the scheme of things. Uh, Tom Kephart covered the story for playing time today. What's going on here with this Harvey-Devin uh, De- Mazarako deal? Well, you know, it's, it's a little strange, actually. Uh, Matt Harvey's likely to replace uh, uh, Brandon Finnegan in the rotation. Uh, Harvey, uh, I, I wouldn't expect much from him. He's been unable to limit home runs both last year and this year after coming back from uh, 2016 thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. Um, everything, all of his numbers across the board have been declining. His first pitch strike rate, his swinging strike rate, his velocity, his dom, his command, all dramatically down from where he was in 2016. Uh, and so... I I wouldn't expect much to happen in terms of the, uh, he may be a little better in the rotation than Finnegan was. Uh, Finnegan couldn't find the strike zone. So, um, you know, he might be a little better there, but certainly not a, a fantasy stalwart that you're going to be looking for and maybe someone you simply don't want in your roster. And yeah, Finnegan had shoulder surgery at the end of last year, or not at the end, it ended last year for him, and he was really struggling this year. Having said all that, it doesn't seem... Uh, very likely that uh, that Matt Harvey's going to be a big upgrade. You mentioned all those uh, all those metrics are down, and the big one is home runs. And in that park, yuy. yeah, right. I mean, you know, giving up more home runs and moving to Cincinnati as your home park not going to help much at all. So, uh, will it'll be interesting to see how long Matt Harvey is in the rotation in Cincinnati uh, with the Reds struggling? They may keep him in there longer than any than other teams would, but I wouldn't be expecting many wins from Matt Harvey or. Uh, uh, and certainly would uh, want to stay far away from him if I'm going to stream him when he's, uh, when he's uh, pitching at home. Meanwhile, Nick, uh, Cincinnati starting catcher Tucker Barnhart looks like he's getting a vote of confidence and maybe a little added playing time. He is indeed. Uh, Tucker Barnhart is likely to, to gain playing time of the trade with Mesa Rocco gone. Um, uh, Barnhart is doing pretty well, so an increased patience, a spike in his early season walk rate, uh, career best eye at this point, a decisible decrease in his uh, contact rate is not a good thing, but uh, but otherwise looking pretty good. 268 ex- expected batting average suggests his BA will climb. Uh, so Barnard's likely to get, the, yes, as you said, getting a vote of confidence, getting more playing time. On the other hand, uh, De- uh, Mesoraco heads to New York as a backup and is likely to lose a whole bunch of playing time. We've got his playing time loss at, at perhaps 30%. Yeah, it looks like he'll be the backup catcher in New York once Kevin Ploiecki gets back from his injury. I think he's got a hurt hand. Uh, Mesoraco has not been hitting well this year, a two oh three expected batting average. About league average power, which is a bit better than in the past, but I wouldn't count on any big uh, gains for Devin Mesoraco. And then he goes to City Field from Cincinnati. That can't help either. Uh, Johnny Cueto in San Francisco had been having some pretty good uh, performances at the start of the season. Now he's on the 60-day DL. Uh, what's going on in San Francisco with Johnny Cueto? Well, at least at this point, the good news for Johnny Cueto is he's dodged surgery for the time being. Um, he's uh, He's got an elbow, sprained elbow, uh, is what the diagnosis has been. And uh, uh, Dr. James Andrews even thought it could respond to rest and rehab, and uh, the surgery option may eventually come back into play if it doesn't get better. Uh, at this point, I uh, expected to miss at least six weeks. Um, could be back just before the All-Star break, just after the All-Star break, sometime in that in that time frame. Uh, and that timetable is somewhat in sync with, uh, with Madison Bumgarner coming back um, who's uh, seeking doctor's clearance to start a throwing program. 
What about the guy they called up, Andrew Suarez? Andrew Suarez uh, looks kind of interesting. He's pitched well in two of his three outings, an 18-2 strikeout walk rate, uh, a prominent among the early numbers. Uh, Has allowed more home runs, three home runs, than he has walks, uh, but they've not been a home runs have not been a problem for him in the minors. So uh, Andrew Suarez may be someone kind of worth looking at at this point, since it looks like he's going to have a roster spot, uh, uh, at least in the short term. One of the surprise success stories this year among starting pitchers, Nick, uh, this year has been Arizona starter Patrick Corbin. And uh, Ryan Bloomfield in the speculator column uh, did a look at how pitchers have changed some of the way they mix their pitches. And in Patrick Corbin's case, that really supports his April performance. It does indeed. Now is a good time to uh, uh, perhaps to buy Patrick Corbin if, if owners are expecting him to taper off. Uh, and there was a, a, a nice uh, column in The Speculator this week, too, about picks, picks, changes, and Patrick Corbin kind of headed that. What, what's happened is that uh, Corbin's peripherals have just been as dominant as his surface stats so far, and the surge has been the picks, Mitch. He's introduced a, a loopy 72-mile-per-hour curveball, uh, getting a 14% uh, swinging strike rate, cut down on his four-seam usage, and the slider has been the highlight. A 29% swinging strike rate on his slider. That's been one of the best pitches in baseball, and he's throwing it nearly 40% of the time. Uh, Hitters know it's coming, but they simply can't hit it. Uh, Righties have a a .089 batting average against that slider. Listen to that again, .089, and lefties .113. So they can't do a thing with the slider, the revamp pitch mix and putting that slider more into the mix, even though they know that's what's coming, is what's driving Patrick Corbin at this point. And finally, Nick, uh, Billy Hamilton is always something of a controversial figure in uh, fantasy baseball. Should you take him early because of the bags? Should you hold off because there's nothing but the bags? And so far this year, he's not looking good at all. Uh, Fred Zinke, a columnist at BaseballHQ.com, has a column this week saying uh, 10 players who have given reason to worry. What is Fred Zinke worried about with Billy Hamilton? Fred Zinke is worried that Billy Hamilton cannot hit. He says it's just that simple. Uh, we've been waiting for years for Billy Hamilton to be able to uh, uh, to hit and get on base and open up that great speed that he has. But certainly the Reds are at their wits' end with Hamilton. They've been hitting him ninth in the lineup most of the time this season, uh, batting just two oh four, uh, very uh, only a ten point nine percent hard contact rate and a thirty seven point five percent soft contact rate. Um, no batter, no one, as Fred Zinke says, can have success with those kind of batted ball tendencies. So he may rank among the steals leaders uh, in the league, but uh, can you take him on your roster if he's going to hit uh, hit uh, 204 or maybe even below the Mendoza line by the end of the season? Uh, he's not going to post the kind of stolen base totals that we would like to see or that he's capable of if he's batting ninth and not getting on base very often. So um, that's what Fred Zinke, Fred Zinke has to say about Billy Hamilton. Uh, certainly not someone I want on my roster at the current time. Yeah, at this point, I think the only reason you'd want to take a shot at maybe trading for Billy Hamilton is if you were sitting at the bottom of a clump of you know six teams or something like that with five bags to gain uh, six points in the in the stolen base category. Other than that, and you'd have to have a pretty good batting average at that to protect yourself from the uh, from the empty performance of Billy Hamilton. Uh, you know, it's always been a surprise to me, Nick, that uh, Billy Hamilton has never figured out he should learn how to bunt. He should learn how to slap it the other way, and he should uh, give himself a, a, a slap in the head every time he hits a fly ball. Right, very definitely. I mean, those are the things, and those are not things we, we would think would be hard to learn given his speed, but it's not happening. 
All right, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out with the National League. Uh, as a matter of fact, you're going to be pinch hitting for Jock Thompson in the American League. Uh, Jock's on vacation this week, uh, so uh, let's start in the American League now. In Toronto, the closer Roberto Osuna was thought of going into the season as one of the few sure things at the end of a bullpen. And now the sure thing, not so sure, Osuna was arrested for some domestic violence assault charges in Toronto and a by-major league rule has been placed on administrative leave, which amounts to a suspension. Matt Dodge covers the Jays for playing time today. What's the outlook for Roberto Osuna? The outlook at this point certainly is not good. The, the rulebook definition of administrative leave is seven days, but it can be shorter, it can be longer, and uh, Major League Baseball can impose uh, additional suspensions if they, if they feel those are justified. Uh, he's currently scheduled to go to court in June, uh, unless the case is settled somehow before that time. Uh, so at least a week, uh, probably longer than that, possibly very long if he's really in trouble with the law. However long he's out, somebody has to get those save opportunities in the Jays' bullpen. What's going to happen there? Uh, at this point, Toronto media coverage suggests a committee with John Axford, Tyler Clippard, Jungwon uh, Oh, and Ryan Tapera, all candidates to close. All of them have some closer experience except Tapera. Uh, Tapera had been the setup guy until recently and has the highest leverage index of all those in the pen, so he might get the first shot. The first save opportunity in Osuna's absence came to Clippard, uh, but Clippard has been battling gopheritis for the last few years, uh, one and a half home runs per nine since the start of 2016. So that would not be a good thing for a closer. Uh, Owen Axford both do a better job of keeping the ball in the park. Uh, and leverage, index, and command both favor O at this point over Axford. Uh, so I guess all you can do at this point is if you had Osuna is get all of them and wait for the team to sort it out. Yeah, boy, uh, I feel for anybody who signed Roberto Osuna, but of course this is a serious matter, and uh, things got to fit into their right context. Uh, I watch the Jays a lot. I think that uh, Clippert is going to be the early choice. He was pitching pretty well for the team uh, going into this situation, and he did get that first crack at it. Uh, also, he's the one likeliest to be available in a lot of leagues, I think. Uh, also in Toronto, shortstop. Aledmus Diaz went to the 10-day DL with a sprained left ankle. Nick, I saw this play. I was watching the game because I have a few Toronto guys, including Diaz, on my tout AL roster. It was a pretty gruesome situation. Diaz was legging it up the line trying to beat out a infield roller, and uh, and uh, he stepped on the side of the bag with his left foot, and the ankle just rolled over. It was really sickening to watch, I'm telling you. All that said, he's only expected to miss three weeks, which surprises me. Uh, the Jays recalled right-handed pitcher Jake Petrichka, also shortstop Richard Urania from AAA. Let's start with the infield playing time. Who gets the, the uh, Diaz plate appearances? Uh, Lourdes Gurriel has been named the regular shortstop in Diaz's absence. Uh, Gurriel had been, uh, made a very minimal fantasy contribution at this point. Two home runs, one stolen base, four runs scored in f- his first 55 at-bats. So... Uh, not a whole lot going on there at the moment that you want to, to jump on. Uh, we'll also see if uh, Yangiver Solarte, the regular second baseman, uh, will be the regular second baseman. He could end up with some shortstop playing time if Guriel continues to scuffle. Um, and Urena will provide utility coverage. He's not a fantasy contributor. Guriel's also only hitting about 210 the last time I looked and has an on-base percentage in the like 270 range. So he's definitely not helping fantasy teams too much. Uh, he looks overmatched, frankly. The Jays also traded just the other day for light-hitting Cleveland infielder 
Giovanni Urshela, and he could find his way into the mix. Uh, we talked about Roberto Osuna, one closer. Another one bit the dust in Baltimore, where submarine-style pitcher right-hander Darren O'Day was put on the 10-day DL. He's got a hyper-extended right elbow. And, uh, Nick, I have to say, watching Darren O'Day pitched, I'm surprised he haven't hasn't had elbow trouble previously. Uh, the team called up left-hander Tanner Scott from AAA. He's not probably going to figure in the mix, but with O'Day out of the picture, who's in line for the few saves that will be available in Baltimore? Well, it might not be such a big deal here. O'Day is not expected to miss much more than the minimum time. So uh, unless the team suddenly gets really, really hot, uh, there may be only a small handful of saves up for grabs and maybe only one or two saves up for grabs. Uh, you might expect Brad Brock to move back into the role that O'Day took from him, and some bullpen sites are predicting that that's what will happen. Uh, but And in fact, Brock got the first save in O'Day's absence. But Brock's got a 5.26 XERA and 2.3 command over the last month, and that puts him near the bottom of potential contributor candidates list on the uh, Baseball HQ bullpen indicators chart. A uh, better, better bet looks like right-hander Michael Gibbons, uh, 2.74 XERA, 3.5 command. Uh, Dark Horse might be Richard Blyer, 3.67 XERA, 4.5 command. And as we said, the way the Orioles have been playing, maybe nobody gets a save up uh, during the time that O'Day is out. Yeah, Givens can really fire it. He was having some trouble with his command earlier in the season, but seems to have righted the ship. Uh, Blyer's an interesting guy, but he's a left-hander, although uh, certainly Baltimore doesn't seem to mind uh, anybody out there who can get a save uh, I think Givens, if the situation lasts any length of time, Givens will find his way to the top, but Brock's the guy for now. Uh, in Detroit, center fielder Leonis Martin was placed on the DL with a left hamstring strain. The Tigers recalled an outfielder, Mikey Matuk. Tom Kephart covers the Tigers for playing time today. Who gets Leonis Martin's playing time? Uh, the first game without Martin, Jacoby Jones shifted to center field. Matuk took over, uh, got the start in the left. Um, reserve outfielder Victor Reyes and utility man Nico Goodrum also could vie for left field playing time while Jones is in center. Um, none of these guys is impressed very much at the plate to date. Last year, Matuk showed some, uh, some, uh, good, good potential in 348 major league at bats. Uh, that was easily the highest at bat total of his brief career at this point. Uh, some moderate power, top notch speed in a regular role in the second half and was expected uh, perhaps to be on a lot of lists as a, as a breakout candidate this year, uh, but started very, very poorly. Um, Goodrum has showed uh, good patience, uh, but also been contact challenged and opened the season 11 for 57 in a part-time role. And Rule 5 draftee Reyes has played sparingly, going 3 for 22 with speed as primary attribute. So there's not a lot there that I think anybody wants to jump on uh, while Martinez out. Jacoby Jones has four stolen bases so far this year in 106 at-bats, so there's a little help there. And he's batting two forty five, which sounds pretty terrible, but it's actually pretty good for him. And the the plus sign on Jacoby Jones has been a big increase in contact. He was flopping around in the 55-60% range in his major league career uh, last season, and uh, this year he's up around 70%, 73%. And if he can keep that up and spray the ball around, he's got really good speed, so he could be a help. Uh, there was quite a bit of buzz before before the season about a possible breakout for Oakland outfielder Dustin Fowler, but he started the year in the minors. They just recalled him. Uh, Rod Trusdell covers the A's for playing time today. What should we expect from Dustin Fowler and his much-awaited recall? Dustin Fowler is only 23 years old. He was Oakland's number eight prospect. Uh, he could contribute in several categories and is a solid, uh, very solid choice, I think, in keeper leagues. Uh, the A's haven't stated that Fowler's up for good, but unless he struggles a lot, that would figure that he probably is up for good. 
Uh, he's likely to return against right-handed starters early on. Uh, he's been smoking the ball at AAA with a 310, 333, 484 slash for the season, uh, and that's been on the rise lately. Uh, and as that on-base percentage shows, he doesn't walk much, but he's been making very good contact in the minors. Uh, should post a decent BA along with solid speed and power stats. Three home runs, eight stolen bases, 132 plate appearances at AAA. Uh, the big playing time loser here is Boob Powell. Yeah, uh, I was looking at uh, Dex, uh, Dustin Fowler here, and uh, the projection at BaseballHQ.com is pretty intriguing. 44 runs, 45 RBIs in 330 at-bats, and a two sixty five batting average, which isn't bad, and nine stolen bases. And these days, Nick, nine stolen bases is not to be sneezed at. No, not at all. I mean, that's uh, you know that that's kind of a, a nice a nice line projection for Dustin Fowler. So certainly someone to keep an eye on. He, as I said, hit, he he struggled in spring training, and that's why he went down. But uh, hitting well at this point in the minors, uh, I certainly would take a look at him for for the roster if he's out there on your waiver wire. Staying in Oakland, right-handed starter Trevor Cahill went to the 10-day DL with what they're calling a right elbow impingement. Nick, I thought impinging was something you did on somebody's good graces or something. You're impinging on my good uh, good feelings or something. Right, something like that. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, they used to call in football, it used to be offside, and at some point it became encroachment for some reason. Everybody wants to make a bigger word out of a perfectly useful one. What happens in the Oakland rotation with Cahill out? Well, actually, not a lot. Uh, Cahill is expected to miss only one, one full start. He's scheduled to start again on May the 16th against Boston. Although if you're, uh, you know, if you're streaming your starters, that may not be the best place to put him back in. But in the meantime, he's been superb in 24 innings, a 31-6 strikeout walk ratio, 5.2 command, a 202 BPV, uh, really has pitched very, very well. Uh, Oakland has not announced his uh, likely one-time replacement, but Kendall Graveman is in line to pitch when KL's turn next comes up. And so uh, Graveman has a, a very ugly 8.89 ERA. Uh, his skills before his demotion were right in line with past skills. Uh, that's pretty mediocre too, but it's a little bit better, a 4.64 expected earned run average. So it uh, looks like Kendall Graven may get one start, and then Cahill is back doing uh, pitching very well as he, as he was doing. You know, Nick, I had no idea Trevor Cahill was pitching as well as he was until you mentioned that. Uh, uh, any base performance value, which is a kind of a combined stat looking at all the metrics together anything around 200 that's ace level and uh, i didn't think trevor cahill had it in him uh, you know you wouldn't have expected that but uh and he was sitting on waiver wire in a lot of leagues that i was in before i grabbed him so uh certainly someone i think l- worth looking at because these early season stats uh have have some some real support so assuming he's not uh, not this is just a, a minor injury uh, trevor cahill, trevor cahill is someone worth taking a long look at Finally, Nick, the Red Sox announced that struggling lefty starter David Price, who has been pretty terrible this year, is uh, suffering from carpal tunnel syndrome. Has David Price been typing too much? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, you wonder, huh? Uh, he w- wasn't on the DL as of Friday morning. He was scratched from his May 9th start after feeling numbness in his throwing hand during a bullpen session. Uh, now expected to throw another bullpen, and if that works, he'll will or could return to the rotation on Saturday, May the 12th. Uh, remember, though, Price has a well-earned F health grade, 106 days in the DL in 2017 with an elbow issue, so his return might not occur exactly as the Red Sox have it have it mapped out or hoped for. Uh, Fatty's owners, I think, would be wise to look for an alternative and wait, uh, uh, even considering using Price after until he returns to the rotation. Uh, not sure exactly what you're going to get when he comes back, and that F, F, F health grade is a huge red flag. 
The Baseball HQ uh, projection for David Price is a $15 pitcher uh, with a 353 RA, 124 whip. And, of course, there's plenty of wins to be had in that Boston Red Sox lineup. There are indeed a lot, lots of wins, uh, wins there. So if Price gets back and stays healthy, he could uh, have some value. 5.11 ERA, 141 whip so far this year. However, um, of course, maybe the carpal tunnel s- syndrome is is at the root of that. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out with both leagues again this week, uh, and we'll talk to you again for one league next week. All right, thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a Baseball HQ analyst and our regular beat reporter covering the National League here at Baseball HQ Radio. When we return our Baseball HQ commentaries, the frequent flyer and pitcher matchups coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. But right now it's time in the show and I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In from A to Zinke. We talked about this with Nick in the Market Watch. Fred Zinke looks at 10 players to be worried about, including Billy Hamilton, as we mentioned. In our Buyer's Guides columns, the Starting Pitchers and Batters Buyer's Guide, Stephen Nickrand looks at April's base performance value leaders, while in the Bullpens column, Doug Dennis reviews pen volatility due to poor performance indicators. And in The Speculator, we also mentioned Ryan Bloomfield's Speculator column looking at early pitch mix changes and their effects on some starting pitchers' early season growth. And those are just three articles among literally dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at Baseball HQ all the time, and why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have our pitcher matchups report. And leading off, it's our frequent flyer comment, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyer is White Sox outfielder Eloy Jimenez. And here to tell you more is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. The centerpiece of the Crosstown Jose Quintana trade in 2017, 21-year-old Chicago White Sox outfielder Eloy Jimenez has quickly proven to be one of the top prospects in the game, according to Ron Chandler's 2018 baseball forecaster. Want proof? How about Eloy Jimenez's current 13-game hitting streak, featuring nine consecutive multi-hit games that began back on April 26th, is continuing through Thursday, May 10th. Or better yet, how about this? Eloy Jimenez has hit safely in 16 of his last 17 games, dating back to April 22nd, only going hitless in four games total in 2018. Impressive. Overall, he's compiled a 346 batting average with seven home runs through his first 20 games in 2018, mirroring his 353 batting average in 18 games at Double A in 2017. Maybe that's why Baseball HQ's Chris Blessing has been in love with Eloy Jimenez's potential since first seeing the big hulking six foot four inch outfielder in the 2016 Arizona Fall League. According to Chris's May 3rd Miners article on BaseballHQ.com, outside of Yankee second baseman Glaber Torres, not one prospect has matched Eloy Jimenez's potential. He has it all, from impressive bat speed and pitch recognition skills to plus-plus power potential, according to Chris. 
However, Chris also cautions in the same May 3rd Miners article that Eloy Jimenez has some issues with the breaking ball and projects to have only an average or less than average hit tool, despite his plus-plus power. Not to mention there are no guarantees that Eloy Jimenez will be called up to Chicago in 2018. The White Sox might not want to start his service clock yet. That's why Eloy Jimenez, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. Then again, the Atlanta Braves called up 20-year-old Ronald Acuna on April 25th, and the New York Yankees debuted 21-year-old infielder Glaber Torres on April 22nd. Could Eloy Jimenez be far behind? Should he be? After all, White Sox outfielders are currently batting a cool collective 217 for 2018. A closer examination of Eloy Jimenez's contact rate, something we like to do at BaseballHQ.com, suggests a 79% career minor league contact rate points to an expectation benchmark of a 268 batting average at the major league level when compared to a 7% career walk rate in the minors. In other words, Eloy Jimenez could be a welcome addition to the White Sox and your team when you consider adding him as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for pitcher matchups. Here with a scan of Jacob deGrom in Philadelphia to take on Aaron Nola and other weekend matchups is Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. Let's start this weekend by rattling the cages of two-way player debaters. Assuming New York Mets right-hander Jacob deGrom bounces back from hyper-extending his pitching elbow while batting, he'll make up half of our Mother's Day marquee matchup. The 30-year-old deGrom takes the hill in Philadelphia on Sunday, May 13. He'll pit his matchup rating of 220 against Philly's 25-year-old right-hander Aaron Nola and his matchup rating of 129. Looking at the new categorical rankings, DeGrom should slightly outshine Nola in strikeouts, ERA, whip, and wins. DeGrom's biggest advantage is in strikeouts, and Nola's only negative number is in win probability. After eight games started in 2018, Aaron Nola has four PQS-dominant efforts, but his lone PQS disaster came at the hands of the Mets in New York. At home, Nola has three of his four PQS doms and a PQS decent three. Nola is working on his fourth consecutive season of base performance values greater than 100. With a bit of good fortune from his hit rate and strand rate, Nola is showing career bests in ERA, expected ERA, whip, opponents on base average, control rate or walks per nine, command ratio or strikeouts per walk, first pitch strike rate, swinging strike rate, home runs per nine, home runs per fly ball, and roto earnings. As BaseballHQ.com's Pitcher Buyer's Guide analyst Stephen Nickrand summarized in an April 7 note, quote, Aaron Nola remains on track to becoming an ace in 2018, unquote. Jacob deGrom is expected to come off the DL and make his eighth start of 2018 on Mother's Day. deGrom already has five PQS dominant outings, including the past four in a row. He hasn't allowed an earned run since April 16. On the road, DeGrom has two PQS doms and two PQS decents. With a little luck from his strand rate this season, DeGrom is posting career bests in ERA, expected ERA, opponents on base average, fly ball rate, dominance rate or strikeouts per nine, swinging strike rate, and BPV. 
As we said in Ron Chandler's 2018 Baseball Forecaster, the upside for Jacob deGrom is contention for the National League Cy Young Award. Just in case we may have been misled by a Mets medical report and DeGrom doesn't start, let's include a bit of bonus coverage from the Lone Star State's showdown in Houston. The Texas Rangers ride into town on Saturday, May 12. Last week's owner of our minimum matchup rating, Doug Fister, is again facing a firing squad with a negative matchup rating. After posting his fourth PQS 2 in six starts, Fister draws the only team in Major League Baseball with a run differential greater than two. On top of that, in another repeat of last week, Texas draws the pitcher with the second-highest matchup rating of the weekend. This time, it's Astros ace Justin Verlander. The matchup rating differential between Verlander's 263 and Fister's minus 102 is 365. That spells trouble for the Rangers any day of the year. And the bad luck continues for Texas on Sunday the 13th. Astros' former ace, Dallas Keuchel, has a matchup rating of 189 and a matchup rating differential advantage of 337 over Matt Moore and his matchup rating of minus 148. Houston hitters could really blast off over Texas this weekend. For listeners who make daily transactions, we close our report with this weekend's maximum and minimum matchup ratings. Washington's Steven Strasburg has our maximum matchup rating at 269, heading into humidor-friendly Chase Field. His opponent for a Saturday start on May 12 is D-backs first-year man Matt Cook, who has a matchup rating of minus 172. With that resulting matchup rating differential of 441, even a humidor may not slow the Nationals' offensive onslaught. Tampa Bay Rays 28-year-old right-hander Matt Andrees may be happy taking his respectable matchup rating of 121 into Baltimore's hitter-friendly Camden Yards for Game 2 of a doubleheader on Saturday, May 12. His Tampa teammates should tee off on the man with this weekend's minimum matchup rating, Orioles 28-year-old right-hander Mike Wright. Wright is on the wrong side of zero with his matchup rating of minus 203. The resulting matchup differential of 324 favors the Rays, who should shine in the old line state. To recap our recommendations for Mother's Day weekend, do something nice for your mom, like calling her on your phone instead of using it to track your teams. Look for good work from Jacob deGrom, Aaron Nola, Justin Verlander, Dallas Keuchel, Matt Andrees, and Steven Strasburg. Load your lineups against Doug Fister, Matt Moore, Matt Cook, and Mike Wright. Check our site to get updated matchup information every day. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick has our weekend pitcher matchups all during the season. When we return, part two of our feature expert interview with Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus, coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Take me out to the ballgame. Take me out with the crowd. HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus and the Flags Fly Forever podcast. As I mentioned, we've had some technical difficulties with Mike's cell phone, so we're bringing you what survives the technology. Mike, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. At Baseball Prospectus, you posted your first fantasy valuations of the season just the other day. Uh, How often do you put these out, these valuations? 
I try to put them out about once a month, usually toward the beginning of, of a new month. And without divulging any trade secrets, a lot of people keep their valuation methods uh, pretty close to their chest. But how, how does yours work? No, this is a pretty simple, like, uh, it's an old-school SGP model. Um, so, so what it's looking at, it's, it's looking at how uh, deep leagues, deep NL and AL only leagues auctions, and then how the, the players, are, what they're worth, you know, compared to that auction population. And it's, it's weighted, it's not a scarcity model, so, you know, if you have a scarcity model, someone like D. Gordon could be worth like $60, um, but it, it kind of takes a little bit away from those guys. It does that even more so for saves on the pitching side, you know, because that, that way you don't have a you know a top closer like this year or someone like Edwin Diaz, who you know will be worth like same thing, like fifty five to sixty bucks. The complete spreadsheets are linked in the article, but you also have them uh, sorted by fantasy value. And I'd like to talk about some of the interesting names by position at catcher. Of course, it was no surprise that Gary Sanchez was the American League leader, but how did Yasmani Grandal get to the top of the National League heap? Well, you know, it's funny. Grandal has always been a streaky hitter, and he, he's really, you know, he's really rode a hot streak early, you know, combined with, you know, I think the worry with him was that Austin Barnes would get most of the playing time like he did in the playoffs, but Grandal's hit, so as a result, he's played. And, you know, and the third thing that's helped is, is with the Dodgers, with all the injuries they've had, Barnes can play other positions, most notably second base. So they've kind of been shuttling him around other positions. So we've always known that Grandal could hit. We've just seen him go through weird phases where, you know, he'll hit for a month and then he'll disappear for a month. And hopefully for the people who have him, I have one share of him, you know, hopefully it keeps up. But, you know, if he does slump, you know, it, it's not going to be the biggest surprise just because that's been the most part that's been his MO. And, of course, as we intimated earlier, just because a guy has a pretty good March-April doesn't mean you're saying that he's going to be as good as he's been so far for the rest of the way. How do you see Yasmani Grandal for the rest of the season? Well, yeah, I, I mean, if he gets a playing time, I, I think he'll be solid. The, the, the knock on him has always been the batting average. You know, he'll, he'll go through phases where, you know, like I said, he just does absolutely nothing. It's kind of a weird thing about Grandal. You know, last year's side when he wasn't playing nearly as much, I don't think he's ever earned more than 13 or 14 in NL only 5 by 5 and you kind of scratch your head and you think that's surprising for, for a player who, you know, hits for so much power and everybody talks about so much, but you know, a lot of it's batting average. He's just a bad, bad average hitter, and you know, I will say my system tends to penalize and reward for average a little bit more than other systems do. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. It's Patrick Davitt with Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus and, uh, Mike, we've been talking already about some players, uh, but in your Flags Fly Forever podcast, which is a terrific podcast, you and your colleagues talked about the weird story of Ian Desmond and his amazing ground ball percentage. Started a few years ago under 50%, now it's over 70 What are we to make of this uh, huge change in batted ball profile? Well, you know, he, he's been trending that way for the last few years. Uh, and I, I think that the 70 percent, that the super high number he was at, that's probably more of a, a sample size loop for him to be that high. He's already down. He's down a little bit to 69 percent, but you know, he was 63 percent in 2017. He's probably going to finish somewhere in the high 50s, low 60s. It, it just seems to be who he is now, and you know, seems to be his approach. 
And finally, in your discussion of Aaron Judge with your f- baseball prospectus colleagues, you said fantasy experts tend to hang on too long to their positions on players. And we talked about this earlier as far as fantasy owners getting a little bit too in love with their own analysis. How should consumers factor the idea that experts are also prone to hanging on to their assessments of the players and build it into their own assessments of the experts? Well, I, I'm, you know, if you're a consumer, you know, and I, I think a lot of us started as, as consumers before we, you know, moved into this, it always pays off. It's always worth it to kind of question what the base assumptions are and, and why somebody has them. You know, I, I wrote an article like five years ago when I started at BP, and I always think about it. it. It was about, you know, kind of going from being a player to an expert and figuring out how to ask the right questions. So it's not going to be right all the time. We're never going to be right all the time. But I want to kind of see if they're heading down the right path and, and that they're, like, asking questions and trying to learn, and which we're all doing, as opposed to, you know, kind of coming up with a, you know, a, a conclusion that fits the thesis with you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus. And Mike, during the season, I like to ask our experts to talk about uh, individual players you think will be boons and banes for the rest of the fantasy season. Let's start here with your boons. These are guys you think should interest our listeners, whether in the free agent pool or by trade. In the American League, who do you think is a boon hitter? Yeah, probably, you know, probably Kyle Seeger. A L- little bit older, but, you know, somebody who... At the end of the year, he, he kind of always puts up those consistent numbers where he's got about 25 home runs, he, he drives in runs, he scores runs. Uh, the average is never great. I mean, he's not going to steal bases for you. But, but he's just this consistent all-around player that I think people kind of write off. Uh, you know, kind of a tough target and only because people are aware and, you know, the replacement you know, pool is non-existent. Uh, being somebody in deeper mixed league, I can see a kind of ripple somebody who you know, might be looking at him and thinking, man, like, it just doesn't do anything for me. How about a National League hitter, Mike, who's going to be a boon for his owners? You know, speaking of injuries, you know, Michael Conforto suffered a brutal injury, you know, last year. He kind of went down like a shot. I heard his shoulder. We've never seen anything like that. Now, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be an elite power hitter, but just I also don't think he's going to be what he's been so far, which, which is, you know, he's hitting for almost the power. It's run. He's hitting under 200. There's too much talent there for him not to improve. And I kind of envision that improvement coming from him, you know, I would say in you know, the next month or so. Over to the pitching mound, uh, do you see an American League pitcher you think will be a boon for the rest of the year? Somebody I, I, I saw his last night and I was encouraged by in the American League was Jake Odorizzi. Uh, you know, Odorizzi got off to a slow start. He looked kind of rusty, but I think something the Twins have figured out, and you see this in a lot more pitchers these days, is that he's really a six-inning guy. He's just not somebody who should be going more than that. And, you know, if the Twins are willing to kind of have that leash with him and go long bullpen, I think and only he's somebody who, who could be an asset. And finally, in the National League, who's a boon pitcher uh, that you think might be worth grabbing? Well, I'm going to mention something I know as a free agent in, in one of my leagues. And, yeah, and again, this is a very deep league recommendation. So if you're in a mixed league, don't, don't you know, pick this out. Uh, Sal Romano with the Reds. Um, I, I actually have to see a lot of his start against the Mets. You know, he, he struck out the side at one point. Uh, I think he's somebody who the stuff and, and the trend lines, 
he should be better than what we've seen in his numbers so far, you know, where, where he has fewer than six strikeouts per nine and the walk rate's kind of high. Uh, he, is, he is a risky pitcher, but you know, I, I think some that you have to kind of keep in mind is these are only re- league recommendations. You know, we're, we're not talking about guys who, you know, were like a Luis Castillo, for example, who's off to a slow start, but I, I don't think it only anyone is going to be trading away a Luis Castillo without getting close to full value. Mike Gianella's Boons, Kyle Seeger, Michael Conforto, Jake Odorizzi, and Sal Romano. Let's move over to the Baines. These are guys about whom you think our listeners should be cautious. And again, we'll try to start in the American League with a Bane hitter. I would, you know, a guy I'm, I'm a little bit wary of that I've seen people get excited about is Jed Lowry. I've always liked Jed Lowry, so I feel bad for kind of like saying this, but it feels like the injury with him is going to come at some point. Uh, there's also a possibility at the deadline he gets traded and, you know, he winds up in a platoon role or, or in some kind of job share. Um, if you've got Lowry, you know, you've already gotten your value out of him. and I think we all know the same thing. You're not going to be able to trade him for what he's doing so far. Uh, but you shouldn't anticipate this level of production from Jed Lowry for, for the rest of the season. And in the National League, who's a Bane hitter? Um, well, you know, the National League, I, I'd say the guy that I, I look at who's kind of off to a fast start, I've, I've seen him do this before, and I've even been sucked in, is, is Dribble Cabrera. Uh, you know, really nice start, but he's been a streaky hitter in the past. He, he's somebody who has, you know, gone through these, these long lulls. And, you know, it, it's funny, he's kind of hitting, even though the, the Mets in general haven't played well the last couple weeks after their hot start. I, I don't know if you're able to really trade Cabrera for, for that much, uh, but he is somebody I'd be kind of wary of, you know, just writing in like 25 to 30 home runs for. Back to the mound in the American League, who's a pitcher you think will be a bane for his owners? Um, well, let's see. I see a few guys here, but I'm going to, you know, obviously I just want to pick one. Um, I don't know if I want to say he's a bane, but, but the guy I would watch out for a little bit here, you know, and he had the no-hitter in the high profile, is Sean Manaya. He's a really good pitcher, and he had two really you know great outings back to back, including the no hitter. But I look at the strikeout rate, and I look at the stuff, and everything else. I just don't necessarily see him you know keeping up this level of performance. I see him more as a guy, which is which is good. You know, I don't think he's going to be a stiff. But he is somebody you want to be a little bit careful with just, just for that reason. And it is easier with pitchers to kind of like think, you know, this guy's going to turn it around, so, you know, I should, should ride high on him. And finally, how about a National League pitcher who's going to be a Bane? Well, I, I hate to pick this guy because I've got him in a couple leagues, but I've seen Gio Gonzalez go through streaks like this before where, you know, he looks really good and, and the strikeout rate's higher than usual. There's just a lot of wear and tear in that arm. There's a history. He didn't go, he didn't go under the knife, but he, he had an elbow injury. He missed some time. Gio Gonzalez is a guy for me where, you know, even if you don't trade him, you really want to rely on him as more of a mid-tier guy and only as opposed to a, a top-line starter. Mike Gianella's Baines are Jed Lowry as Drupal Cabrera, Sean Manaya, and Gio Gonzalez. Uh, before I let you go, Mike, I saw ba- uh, Baseball Prospectus is starting its 2018 ballpark events, including August 4th at City Field, home of your beloved Mets. Are you participating in that ballpark event? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to two. I'm, I'm going to two that are relatively local. Um, I actually live in the Philadelphia area now, so I'm going to that event. And I am also going to the, uh, oh, and the Philadelphia event is August 18th. Uh, and I am planning on going to the City Field event as well on August 4th. And what goes on at these ballpark events? Well, you know, the, the best part of the event is that typically there, there's access. So at the Met event or the City Field event the last couple of years, Sandy Alderson has been there as part of a Q&A, and I don't know if he'll be there this year, but you either have a GM or an assistant GM answer questions, usually for about 20 minutes. And the Mets' opponent will be the surprising Atlanta Braves, uh, division leaders, a chance to see some of the game's most exciting young players, including Ozzy Albies, uh, Ronald Acuna, and, of course, Jose Bautista. Tell us where our listeners can read more from Mike Gianella. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Gianella, G-I-A-N-E-L-L-A, no words, no underscores. Um, and I am at Baseball Prospectus, as you mentioned, which is just baseballprospectus.com. Uh, most of the site is subscription, but we, we have about 15 to 20 fantasy articles a week. And you know, beyond that, there's other content as well. It's, uh, it's well worth the subscription, in, in my opinion. Mike Gianella writes about fantasy baseball for Baseball Prospectus and appears regularly on the Flags Fly Forever podcast. When we come back, it's our weekly Talk with Todd. Todd Zola and Master Notes coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Yes, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly talk with Todd, and I'm happy once again to say, Todd Zola, welcome back to the show. Really good to be back with you, PD. And we really enjoy having you, of course. Uh, you do a weekly pitcher rating at rotowire.com. I really enjoy that. And I'd like to ask you about some of the individual rankings of the pitchers. But before we do that, how do you formulate the rankings? Yeah, it's, uh, it, was a, it was a work in process this, this time last year. I, I started doing it for the first time last year. And this, we kind of work, work with the audience and came up with a system that we seem to like uh, right around this time last year. It uh, took a few weeks to get it to go I um I always wanted a ranking that I, I don't like the subjective. I I think I could make an objective ranking based upon projecting the actual pitching, the performance, not unlike what we do at DFS. Literally come up with a projection for that game, and then figure out how that projection would influence year-ending standings. So to me, I don't I don't just take the list and, and look at the names and look at the matchups. I actually use numbers and. Uh, did some research to find out that, and, and I hate the word in a vacuum because nothing is really done in a vacuum, but on an individual week-by-week, start-by-start basis, the ratios have less of an influence than wins and strikeouts. So some people look at the rankings and they get a little curious, how come you have this weaker pitcher? I know he has two starts, but you get him, but you have him ranked higher than a, 
a better pitcher with one start, it's because the extra strikeouts that week balance out the ratios. You can accept a couple of, uh, I don't know if you can accept uh, uh, a couple things that happened this past week that we may talk about, but uh, at least not too many of them. But you can absorb a couple of bad outings because you're going to get some good ones too. So what I like to say when people question is I rank the matchups. I don't rank the pitchers. And it raises some eyebrows, but I think overall, I think it's it's a more accurate, it's a more pure list. Now it's five by five. Now you know um, leagues with points or with starts, capping of the starts is a difference. So it's it's contextual. But what we found is the majority of people that use a list like this are in a roto five by five league. You know that need to be able to bump pitchers in and out. But can readers use these tables to follow pitchers and look at guys for the longer term, full season length, rest of season? Yeah, to an extent, because you know the underlying pro- well, that's another process, but they're all based upon my rest of season expectation, which is fluid. So um, if a pitcher is ranked a little higher, and it's not obvious because of the matchup. It's probably because I, 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 I have him rest of season. I'm, you know, I'm a bullish rest of season. So I think you can get an idea. And in my notes, I try to, if there's a pitcher I think, you know, that's not intuitive that I like the season or, or I'm worried about, in the little comment sometimes I'll, I'll put a, a note, a hint that I kind of, you know, not just this week, but I like this guy going forward or, you know, the ranking this week is pretty high, but it's based on the matchups, things like that. So I think you can get, you can glean something from it. It's not designed to be a rest of season list. We, you know, and I know you folks have it on HQ. We have it on Rotowire and I do it myself. We have, I have a going forward, a rest of season ranking for people that have limited moves and, you know, need to make a move or a uh, limited amount of fab or whatever. But, yeah, you can get a feel for I, how I feel about these pitchers in the in the coming weeks and months based upon their ranking because that's what that's what that's where it begins. It begins with how I feel the pitch, what I feel the pitcher is, then I adjust according to the matchup. You have Luis Severino of the Yankees at the top of the table in the American League, and your short comment says he's been the second best pitcher in the American League since last year's All Star break. Uh, why the love for Luis Severino, and who's first? Uh, you know what? I probably should have checked. Because I wouldn't be surprised if Severino has overtaken Corey Kluber at this point. But, um, you know, going down the stretch last year, you know, remember at the All-Star break, they may as well just engrave the trophy to Chris Sale, Cy Young. But then Kluber had such a great second half, he overtook Sale at the deadline. Not the deadline, at the end of the season. Uh, sort of hidden in all that was Severino was actually better than Sale going down the stretch. So I haven't checked. I mean, Severino may have actually passed Kluber. But the point being, he's just really, really good. The Yankee Stadium stigma, the ALE stigma means nothing right now. He's an ace. He has uh, four pitches he can throw for strikes. He's, he's, he's well, actually three. He's got three, 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 three really good offerings. Uh, throw him anytime. He just looks like he knows what he's doing. He's in sync with the catcher. I, I even said it last year. He's just so fun to watch. Even you know this is a this is a this is a, a card carrying Red Sox fan since about 1970 is my kind of my earliest Red Sox memories at Fenway Park. That's a long time. That's coming from a Red Sox fan. That if uh, if Severino is on the mound, it's it's kind of must see for me. I just enjoy watching this guy work. And like I said, I think people still may have have a bit of a stigma about Yankee Stadium. 
Yeah, it gives up homers, but he's a, a severe ground ball guy. I know you talk with Gene McCaffrey, and I, you know, I, I kind of follow Gene's line of thinking. Fly balls aren't bad if it's in a big park where you're you don't walk people and you have a pretty good strikeout rate. You want ground balls in a smaller park like Yankee Stadium. I, when people call a ground ball rate a skill, I, I kind of go, eh, it's really not a skill. It's relative. It's it's contextual. You want you want Severino throwing ground balls in Yankee Stadium, and he does, and he also strikes people out, and he doesn't walk a lot of guys. So, I think you know health health permitting, I think the Yankees have themselves, you know, a bona fide ace, a fantasy ace, a guy that's just really fun to watch for the next well with pitchers with pitchers you never want to say for the next X years because you just never know. And Todd, you mentioned Severino's great uh, second half last year. It's also uh, maybe worth taking a look at Corey Kluber so far. This year hasn't been that great. Maybe Luis Severino has passed him based on that as well. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't I I, I should have done my uh, my legwork, and it would have been a more of a uh, hot take, not even a hot take, a true take. I'll bet you Severino has better numbers than Kluber. Uh, you know, this is you know. To tell you how high the bar set, we're talking about a pitcher in Kluber that's presently got a 2.62 ERA and a .81 WHIP, and is striking out nearly a batter an inning. And we're saying he's having an off season. And that's just you know relative relative to what we expect though. It's it's a bit of a down season, and the ERA is a bit a bit luck influence with a very high, uh, very high left on base percentage or, or as HQ calls it a strand rate. And uh, very low batting average and balls in play. So there, you know, there's some, uh, there's some for you know, good pitchers can get lucky too, and that's what looks like what's happening to Kluber. I don't know. I, mean, I remember early on he looked pretty good. So, in, so I can't. I'm not even sure we can call it the weather, the, some of the weather that Cleveland went through uh, early. And I know he looked, he, he looked fine because I, I know I remember watching the, the game in Puerto Rico and he looked pretty good then. So sometimes you just take things for granted. There's just so much that we have to do and so much we have to watch. We just assume Corey Kluber is still good, and maybe it's it's like you're saying, maybe it's necessary to give a a little bit of a uh, under the hood look at Corey Kluber. Todd, you had Dylan Bundy number six on your American League list, and he really got blown up by the Royals. I don't think he got an out, and he gave up seven runs. Uh, what happened? Oh man, um, well the you know I wasn't I wasn't the only one that was high on Bundy this week, and it was a two start week, and he still has a second start against Tampa. You know, on paper. Uh, two starts, one against Kansas City, one against Tampa is pretty darn good. I know he was coming off of a couple of rough outings where, you know, if you look in a vacuum, the strikeout to walk rate were okay, but he just gave up, I think, five homers combined. So maybe there was a telltale sign that that th- things were going awry. But anybody who, you know, I mean, yeah, I, people stack Kansas City that night because that's what you do. You stack against a team that, you know, the, the, uh, an unlikely stack to, to try to dig on a tournament. But based upon the, the DFS they played that night, a whole lot more people were on Bundy than were stacking the Royals. So I wasn't the only one. But I, you know, as far as what happened, I didn't actually see it. Uh, I was watching some other things, and you know, I, when you see the highlights, all you see is four pitches and four home runs. So I don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, just in general, nine homers in three games. He just, I, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't followed if he's getting the ball up, if, if, if he's, if he, tipping pitches or the whatnot. But uh, I think we went through this last year with Kevin Gausman. We, you know, we were finally convinced this is the year. A great start. Both these guys, all the talent in the world. A really hard place to pitch, but they seem to be doing fine. And then we believed in Gausman, and boom. Well, a lot of us believed in Bundy, and now boom. It's uh, you know, he now has to make that adjustment back. So 
is Tampa a nice matchup for you know? Is that the elixir? It it you know it, it could be, but they're pretty dangerous at times. So um, you know, uh, Bundy Bundy owners will be digging themselves out of the hole for quite a while. As uh, uh, after that, you know, when it, actually Alex Gordon's been doing well, so I can't even make the joke. When Alex Gordon hits a home run off, you know things are bad because Gordon seemed to turn things around a bit. But only a bit. Uh, you also had James Paxton in your top ten, and all he did was throw a no hitter. Has James Paxton reached ace level? You know, I don't think people ever question the talent. It's the health. You know, I mean, if you're asking, did he go from you know tier two to tier one? You know, I guess I think maybe. I mean, I we're you know we're picking nits here. I don't think you know. I I, I think everybody thought Paxton was going to be, you know, really 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 good pitcher and. Um, again, though, and I made a joke about this on Twitter, is we're at the point of the year where, you know, the, the, we, we talk in the spring and we downgrade hitters and pitchers because of expected injuries along the way, and they've been healthy for the first five, six weeks, and, like, we're tempted to, to increase expectations. So the second that we do it, either formally on a spreadsheet or in our mind, guess what happens? We're reading about their DL stint. So we have to be real careful about that. So that's the thing with Paxton. He looks really good. And he it was off. He had a 16 strikeout outing, and then he threw the no hitter. He only threw 99 pitches. So, you know, while while he could get a mental break and only go five or six innings next time, I don't think it's necessary because of a workload. Although sometimes the mental workload is just as important. But yeah, he's certainly talent wise. You know, when he's healthy, he's right up there. But just be careful. He hasn't shown the ability to, you know, throw, you know, let, let alone 200, throw 180 innings in a season. And you said of Blake Snell at number 14, is this finally the year? I think so. Why do you think this is the year for Blake Snell? Yeah, it's walks. And that's why, you know, that, that's the, that's sort of the, the asterisk or the caveat. Whenever, whenever you go one skill away and that skill is dropping the walks, I love it when they do it because that usually helps so much. But you need to see it again, and you know this this is even this is the year that he's dropping them. So even if he do, you know if he does drop them, I need to see it next year to, to 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 be convinced. But just by the eye, my my un my untutored eye, he looks a lot more comfortable than he looked last year when he was struggling with the walks. He's got. He's got four. I mentioned Severino three. So now he's got four plus pitches. I mean, they're not as good as Severino's, but they're plus pitches, and he seems to be sequencing. He seems to be using them pretty well. So it's it's all it's always been about the walks of Blake Snell. It seems to be about the walks, and you know the the confidence level. You know we 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 joke on first pitch about makeup and you know does it exist? How do we judge a, a player's makeup and demeanor and that sort of thing? Just looking at him pitch, he just looks. He's not jittery like he, he looked to me in the past. He looks like he knows what he's doing. So hopefully he can continue that, carry it through, stay healthy. Great place to pitch and up. You know the the team is always sort of, you know, right in the middle there. The you know one you know they can either they can either buy or sell the Rays depending on how things go the first three and a half months. And uh, you know and I think that's the way it is again this year. And uh, I think Snell is he's not Severino ace. But I do think he's a, 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 a fantasy asset, a very good fantasy asset. Over in the American League, your top rank went to Steven Strasburg, who has two starts, one at San Diego, obviously a pretty good start for any pitcher, but especially one of Strasburg's capability. But his other start is against Arizona, and they're leading the National League West. They're a pretty good club, 
And uh, I know last year this would be a real warning sign because of the uh, Arizona ballpark situation, but this year has the humidor really made that significant a change in rating pitchers for Arizona starts? Yep. Um, you know, I don't. I, I don't I'm, I'm gonna. I don't want to say that because the first five or six weeks that that we were right. I mean, I I think by the math, I think we've been right the whole time. And I also was pretty upfront about the fact that in a short, in a small sample or individual player basis, that player may not be influenced by the humidor, good or bad. There's still enough noise around an individual player's performance. But, you know, they've done the math for the first five, six weeks of the season, and it's doing exactly what we expected it to do as far as numbers, depressing homers, depressing runs. Yeah, you mentioned Arizona is leading division. Well, they're they're doing it because they've got really good pitching and some solid defense. They're not knocking the cover off the ball. They're, A.J. Pollock is, but the, in general, the rest of the team isn't. Paul Goldschmidt's not. So, yeah, as far as is it is 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 Chase Field now a pitcher's park? If it's it's neutral, if it's I don't know, it's not the extreme pitchers pitchers park, and homers are just way way down. Now a guy like Goldschmidt, I know it's sort of tangential, but I kind of want to have him hit his first homer at at Chase. I think I think something's going on in his mind at this point, and I just just get that first couple homers there. And I'm not saying he's going to hit 35, but I think that there's something going on mental with the with the park and whatnot. Just just uh, break the ice, and and Goldie should be should be fine. But anyway, it's 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 the pitching. And they've they've lost Robbie Ray, they've lost Taiwan Walker, but they're still making it happen. The bullpen's really good, and uh, as far as you know, the win potential could be diminished a bit. I don't know who Strasburg's matched up against uh, that particular start. Actually, I'm not even sure at this point because Arizona's had some uh, some uh, movement in their in their rotation with Shipley coming up and a couple of other injuries. But the point being, uh, yeah, as far as pitches parks go, that influenced the ranking a lot. Staying on Paul Goldschmidt for a second, uh, last year. He had 665 plate appearances and banged out 36 home runs, which was a career high, tying a career high. And uh, this year, he's a quarter of the way, almost exactly, to those same 665 plate appearances, four home runs. So he's on pace to hit 16. Uh, when you say there's a you know, rebound or recovery coming for Paul Goldschmidt, we still have to really downgrade our expectations from 36 last year, right? Yeah, well, I mean, my expectation was 25 to 28, so... You know, it's he's still obviously down from that, and I I did a piece on him in RotoWire um, I think a week ago at this point, and what was weird with Goldschmidt was he had he had fanned he had he had, he had whiffed the same amount at home and away, but he had walked a ton more at home. So depending on, if you look at the contact rate versus the strikeout rate, one is plate appearances, one is at bats, you could get a different picture. You could say, oh, he's 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 uh, he's striking out. Uh, just as much as last year, or, or he's striking out a lot more, and uh, depending on which metric you looked at. But it's odd to me that he had 16 walks or whatever it was at home, and uh, I don't know. I just I just think that as good as he is, as much of a veteran as he is, I you know that doesn't doesn't mean that mind game you can't have mind games and you know just normal fluctuation of of, of playing time. And you look at AJ Pollock; he doesn't seem to be. Uh, the humidor doesn't seem to be knocking him down any. Like I said, I just think Goldschmidt needs that. For, you know, it's like that first hit of the year. He needs that first homer of the year at home. You know, he, you said he's got four. 
he, you know, maybe he should have had two or three at home already, not as many as on the road. And, you know, if he had six at this point, we'd be saying he's pacing for 24, which is a lot better than pacing for 16. So I think that I think there's still a chance he could end up in the low 20s. And you know, who's to, you know, I'm not saying the humidor was the cause, but uh, where, whenever he comes back, bounces back to his regular level, the humidor will have an influence still. Yeah, I wonder about a hidden injury as well. Uh, although yeah, it could be, sh- shouldn't affect his strikeout rate, which uh, for the last three or four years has been twenty two percent, twenty three percent. This year it's thirty, and there that seems to me to be a warning sign that he's selling out a bit more, maybe trying to get more power out of a humidored ball or something like that. Uh, to me, it it seems like a worry. But on we go to pitchers. Uh, your comment about number three, National League pitcher Aaron Nola says his strikeouts are lower than a fantasy ace, and you explained that a little bit earlier, but his strikeouts are definitely down from the last couple of seasons. But on the other hand, so are his walks, and in the larger scheme of things, how does the possible improvement in walks and therefore in whip maybe offset the downturn in strikeouts? Yeah, especially in today's game uh, with, with picking up and streaming pitching, what NOLA allows you to do is absorb some lesser ratios of pitchers maybe during a two-start week or in the whatnot to get those extra Ks. So you know, he, he kind of reminds I mean, I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Roy Holiday. I'm not saying he's going to be Roy Holiday. But that's sort of the way we treated Roy Holiday back in the day is that he's a fantasy ace because he gave you so many innings of such a great ratio buffer. And all those innings pumped up the strikeouts too. And that's going to happen with Nola because Nola looks like a guy that's not five and done. It looks like when he's, I mean, you know, jokes about the first game aside with Gabe Kapler, when Nola's, you know, pitching well, he's still in the game to go six into the seven inning so he's going to pound up some uh he's not going to get 230 innings but he's going to be a pretty good amount of innings thrown so you know that helps the ratios the helps deepen the impact of them so yeah so by you know the uh you know guys like robbie ray and uh Ryu darvish who in certain situations mainly high stakes league people pay a premium because they love those strikeouts guys like uh that you know that we're talking about uh, Nola, they they tend to fall a little bit because they don't have those flashy whiff numbers. So those are the guys I like because I'll take that discount and then I'll be able to to, to invest in a, you know I, I don't know I'm trying to think off the top of my head a, a high strikeout pitcher with with, with 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 sketchy walks. I mean I was gonna <laughs> a guy like Robbie Ray before he got hurt. Although who's to say that the uh, the walk rate's actually fixed? As I was talking about with walk rate, to drop last year, but it seems to be up again this year. So I guess we can use Robbie Ray as an example of you get Aaron Nola, you can absorb someone like a Robbie Ray to get those strikeouts in the uh, in the questionable whip. It goes to what we talk about a lot of times in in roster planning at draft, where you say don't think of each player as an individual guy. Think of him in the context of of a, yeah. of a twosome or a threesome, where you can say, all right, I'll take this high strikeout guy with the questionable decimals, and I'll offset him with an Aaron Nola who is going to have questionable strikeouts but excellent ratios. And when you combine the two of them, you got a hell of a pitcher. Right, or you can even it doesn't even have to be a starting pitcher. You can absorb the ratios of a lesser closer so you don't have to invest 
in a in a in a Kimbrel. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know, the, the, we can we won't go down the list, but you know, the, the, a, a top closer. You can accept the lesser ratios, and who knows? Sometimes you end up accepting a, a lesser pitcher. So he, with 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 the way relievers are, you end up getting great ratios over the course of a season. Look what Brad Boxberg is doing. I know he's had a couple of rough outings the past couple of days, past week anyway. But the point being, you can wait on closers a little bit, knowing you can buffer the rate. You know, saves are the saves. You're going to get the saves. And you can buffer the ratios a bit with a guy like Nola. And still pick up, you know, so with the strikeout rate, I said it's somewhat mitigated by the volume that at least I anticipate that he gets. I mean, if, if the Phillies aren't in the playoff run towards the end or wild card, I don't think you're going to push him. I don't think I think they're smart. They won't push him towards the end. But until that point, if he's pitching well past six, I you know I think he'll go into the seventh. So far this year, he's been very close to seven innings per start, and he's got five wins as a result. He pitches well yeah. and he pitches deep into games. That's an excellent combination. Uh, you're certainly right about that. And finally, uh, Todd, in the comments after the article at Roto-Wire about these pitcher values, uh, one person asked about Danny Duffy of the Royals. He's been terrible this year, but he's recently announced he's going to abandon the full windup, and he's going to pitch exclusively from the stretch like a relief pitcher. What did you think of that announcement as far as its possible effects on improving Duffy's performance? Well, he's not the first. I, I'm not the kind of... I, my, we've talked. The internet was invented for me because I don't have a very good memory. There have been other pitchers that have done this. He's not the first. So I, yeah, it, it's nice. You know, what's the first step? The first step to fixing something is admitting you have a problem so they know something's going on. And, you know, the, the, the canned responses such as going from the stretch versus the windup you simplify you 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 know you reduce the better release point you're better able to get the release point but he relied on velocity but he wasn't he wasn't sort of overpowering and not to mention he pitched out of the bullpen for a while where he probably was going from the stretch anyway so i think it kind of makes sense and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pound my fist and say he's back, but I do think there's reason, if not for optimism, there's reason to at least track what's going on there. I, I mean, there's a plausible path that he could get better. There's still the injury concern with Duffy, and the team context isn't great, and all that sort of stuff. But you know, if I, to me, he becomes a, you know, in, in a shallower mixed league, he's he's no longer an automatic drop. He could be a hold if I have the reserve spot to see how to see what happens. One good thing about uh, this Duffy move, Todd, is that uh, when you look at his splits between men on and, and nobody on, which uh, which is a pretty good proxy for stretch to wind up. Not a lot of difference between his performance. Uh, he's actually a bit better from the stretch as far as slugging, and pretty much exactly the same on all the other on all the other metrics, including strikeouts and uh, strikeouts per walks and so on. Yeah, I've long championed the fact that pitchers are two pitchers from the windup and the stretch, and lamented that no one actually tracks them. You know, we we both done research where we've extrapolated the the men on base situations to try to figure out. Or, you know, to try to use common sense, you know, wind up and stretch. And I've always postulated that one way that one reason a pitcher, his expected ERAs, whichever you want to use, FIP, Sierra, whatever your favorite one is, XFIP, one of the reasons a pitcher may have such a big difference or a small difference is the difference between the wind up and stretch guy is either exaggerated or not very much. So and then there's a there's a domino effect if that's a cascade where a pitcher may be 
giving up some some uh, seeing eye grounders, going from the going from the windup, putting him in the stretch where he's a worse pitcher. So the unluckiness of a couple of seeing eye grounders or bloops or whatever have now forced him out of the stretch where he's not as good. So it's kind of it, it's ample it's embellished the. Uh, not just bad luck, but it, it was embellished a bit. So I, I, you know, I've been saying this, you know, for years, and um, I just, so I, you know, don't, you know, have done some research like you have too, and there's definite differences. Pitchers are definitely different from the windup and the stretch. The numbers over big picture numbers show it. The skills are definitely better from the windup. Now, but again, an individual pitcher for Duffy's. You know, you, you just set up a nice narrative. He's, he's done it before. He used to be a reliever. The numbers aren't so different. So this could make some sense for Duffy. I'm, I'm, even, I'm even a tad more cautiously optimistic than I was before. And one last advantage, he gives up fewer home runs on a rate basis with men on, assuming that that means the stretch as well. Uh, Todd, thanks very much for helping us out again this week. Interesting uh, as always, and we'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Absolutely, Patrick. Have a good weekend. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire, and appears here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to talk about driving in base runners. I don't know if you saw the story at MLB.com last week by Anthony Castrovinci, in which he held a straw poll of 35 Major League players to ask which stats they like and don't like. The most popular stat for hitters was OPS, with 10 votes from the 35 cast. On-base percentage was second with 6 votes, then came RBIs with 5. Alright, with 35 votes, this was well short of a representative sample, and nothing should really surprise us, but still, RBIs? Really? Luckily, some players are recognizing the obvious weakness of the RBI as an individual stat. Namely, you can't drive in a teammate who's not on-base. Toronto catcher Russell Martin commented, and I quote, Not everybody has the same opportunities in a year. I wish there was a better stat for the percentage of base runners driven in. To which the great baseball researcher Mitchell Lickman tweeted, How about, say, percentage of base runners driven in? Russell Martin is on my Tout Wars AL team, and he hasn't been especially productive this season in RBIs or much else. So I thought I would look into his question about base runners just in case it's nagging him into his current malaise. First, some notes about what we're looking at, and what we're not. In particular, we're not looking at RBIs, which are scoring decisions. We're looking at base runners driven in, which I'm going to abbreviate as BDI, mostly because I think it sounds funny to talk about BDIs. It includes base runners who cross the dish without benefit of RBIs, players who score on errors, for instance, or on double plays. As well, we're not counting the RBIs a player gets from hitting a home run, since he gets his own RBI, irrespective of the runner's on situation. Of course, I am counting the BDIs that are the results of home runs. And BDIs and RBIs are going to be pretty closely aligned anyway, since about 96% of runs scored are credited as RBIs. So let's start with the game-wide numbers. According to the database at BaseballSavant.com, through the games of Wednesday, May 9th, Major League hitters had come to the plate with runners on about 43% of the time. I've looked into this in the past. That seems to be a pretty constant number. The hitters drove in about 20% of the base runners they inherited. Naturally, the issue is more complicated. You don't have to be Bill James to realize that it matters quite a bit where on the bases the runners were. 
The best situation to drive in a run was with a runner on third. That resulted in a run being driven in almost half the time. That makes sense, since a runner can score from third on any base hit, as well as sack flies, fielder's choices, and errors. By contrast, a runner can score from first only on an extra base hit. Anyway, when it's all added up, the situations with the highest rates of driving in at least one run are runner on third, 48% of the time, runners at second and third, 27%, runners at first and third, 26%, and a runner at second, 25%. The rate of total runners scoring is in the same order, and of course the single base runner situations have the same likelihood of scoring. As we'd expect, though, more runners score when more runners are aboard. With runners at second and third, 40% of them come into count, and with runners at first and third, the number is 31%. Oddly, bases loaded, which would seem to be the best situation, has only 16% of those events become run scoring, and with 26% of those runners scoring. The added runner at first, it seems, is more than offset by the increased numbers of force outs and double plays that can end innings. It's too early in the season to parse individual players' expected BDIs, since most of them have only a handful of any particular base runner situations. That said, however, it seemed reasonable to see how players stack up in having the combined high BDI situations second, third, second and third, and first and third. That way we can take a look and see if Russell Martin is getting shafted in some way. Looking only at players with at least 80 plate appearances this season, the average batter has had about 21% of his plate appearances in those premium BDI situations. The league leader in premium plate appearances is Boston third baseman Raphael Devers, who has come to the dish with highly scorable runners 38% of the time. Other hitters at 33% or higher, Robinson Cano, Javier Baez, Carlos Asuaje, Gene Segura, Matt Adams, and Denard Spann. Most of these top opportunists have BDIs proportional to their opportunities, although Baez, Segura, and Spann are well ahead of their expected pace. At the bottom end, seven hitters have come to the plate with premium base runners fewer than 10% of the time. Ian Kinsler, Pedro Alvarez, Gregory Polanco, Bradley Zimmer, Miguel Rojas, Josh Donaldson, and Joan Moncada. Again, all of these hitters have low BDI numbers in line with their paltry opportunities. And here's a news flash for you. Also among the bottom dwellers are stars Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, so there could be some BDI improvements and RBI gains coming up if those players' teammates can do a better job getting on base. Of course, both of those hitters plus some of the others I mentioned have been at or near the top of their batting orders this year, so the wait for them will be for their 8-9 hitters to get aboard. Oh, and I'm sure you're wondering, what about Russell Martin? Well, Martin is indeed a little under the norm. Just 18% of his plate appearances have come with premium base runners aboard. He is getting fewer chances to drive in base runners. That said, his teammate Justin Smoke is also at 18%, and he has 8 BDIs, which is ahead of expectations. Martin should have 4, and he only has 1. I hope that means that Russell Martin is due for some more BDIs and therefore some more RBIs. I could really use the help. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Thursday in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up.
You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 11th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 16 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Friday edition of our show, Mike Gianella from Baseball Prospectus and the Flags Fly Forever podcast. Mike's a fine baseball analyst, a top-notch fantasy player, and he's a great guy who's a lot of fun to hang with and to follow on Twitter. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentator was Harold Nichols doing double duty this week. Our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky, And our pitcher matchups were presented by Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. Thanks as well to Todd Zola, our regular weekly guest on Talk with Todd. I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to iTunes or Stitcher or Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcasts, and add to our star ratings and give good comments. They really do help us attract new listeners, and that really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.